Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from February 28th by Pastor Randy, titled, Who's Your One? Part One. So, who's your one? Imagine if everybody in here could answer that question with the name of one person that they're praying for, one person that they're discipling to become connected to God. That's going to be the goal behind this for the next several weeks. My goal is to get you to not only personalize, but prioritize the Great Commission in your life to the point where you can name one person that you are doing that praying and that discipling to get them connected to God. The impact that could have if we all just had the one person. Here's the analogy. Coming up next weekend is the Iditarod that we're all very familiar with. Began back in 1925 is the history of it when there was a diphtheria outbreak in Nome. The only serum to help cure that was here in Anchorage. But you can't get to Anchorage and Nome in 1925 in the wintertime. Planes can't make the trip. Boats can't make the trip. Everything's iced in. There are no roads. Probably never will be any roads to Nome in our lifetime. And so the only way they could come up with, due to the desperation of the situation, was dog sled. And now we have the Iditarod. What began as a mission now is a sport and a hobby. And so we look at those people who run the Iditarod and those dogs. In fact, my first husky was uh, my first husky dog. Mother ran the Iditarod. And I thought, wow, you know, what a thrill to have a dog whose mother ran the Iditarod. That dog didn't run too far, though, so, but would run after other animals to kill other animals. The dog would do that for sure. But anyway, what began as a mission is now a hobby and a sport. And if we're not careful, our church's mission to make disciples, if we're not doing that, the church can become a hobby, just can become a sport. So two bold statements to make. Or really one bold statement, just the same thing stated two different ways. Our mission is to make disciples. But you do not make a disciple if the disciple you make does not make disciples. Or to put it this way, are you connected to God? If you are not concerned about other people being connected to God, then you're not connected to God. So that's going to be our focus for the next several weeks. What I want to do in this week and probably some of next week before we get into more specifics about who's your one is just to lay a foundation for us. Let's start off by just having some word association. When I say NASCAR fan, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You don't have to answer any of these out loud, so don't feel obligated to do that. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say Star Wars fan? (laughs) What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say vegan? (laughs) I knew y'all couldn't resist to answer this. John and Jan, we love you. 
What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say cat lover? Now, that you're primed up a little bit, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say Christian? Now, when you ask that in our culture, you get a lot of different answers. If you go and ask 10 people on the street, what's a Christian, or who are you a Christian, or something like that, you're going to get a lot of different answers. If you ask them, are you a Christian, you're going to get yes, you're going to get no, you're going to get yes, but, or no, but, or yes, but not like, or no, but not like. You're going to get a lot of different answers. In our culture today, it's so confusing just what is a Christian, that people, they can call themselves Christians and be on either side of a lot of what seem like just should be obvious moral issues. You can call yourself a Christian today and be on either side of the abortion issue. You can call yourself a Christian today and be on either side of the homosexual issue, on either side of civil rights issues. And that's just moral things, not to mention all the political things you call yourself a Christian and be on either side of. One person defined Christian this way, a judgmental, homophobic moralist who thinks they're the only one going to heaven and secretly rushes the fact that everybody else is going to hell. Now, before you say amen to that, which I hope you don't, but, but that's where a lot of people think, maybe some of you think that in here right now. So there's a lot of confusion in our culture today on what a Christian is, but there's also a lot of confusion in the church today on what a Christian is. Eddie was talking about being nervous, being in front of people and speaking. I get nervous now when I ask people who may be visiting church or whatever, when I ask them, you know, tell them about your spiritual life or say something like, you know, are, are you a Christian or something like that? Because the answers I get. Yes, I'm a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home. Of course, I'm a Christian. I go to church every week. Well, I hope they mean by that I'm a Christian and I go to church every week, or I'm a Christian, therefore I go to church every week. But by far, the scariest one I get, and I get it a lot, and it makes me on the inside just sort of shake and quiver, is, yes, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian all my life. Do you realize that's a theological impossibility? You have to intentionally become a Christian. You don't enter the Christian life accidentally or hereditarily jesus said you have to go through the narrow gate and not stay on the narrow gate you were born into if you think that you're a christian and you've been a christian all your life you're probably not a christian so a lot of scary things go on when we're talking about, are you a Christian or are you not a Christian? But here's another interesting fact. The early followers of Christ, they didn't refer to themselves as Christians. That was started by other people saying that, that you're just a much little Jesus running around. You're just, just like Jesus Christ. It was a derogatory term when they said you're a Christian. Well, they didn't refer to themselves as Christians. What did they refer to themselves as? Disciples. The word Christian is three times in the New Testament. The word disciple, 269 times in the New Testament. Now, I know throughout the history of the movement, we have taken the name Christian, but the word in the New Testament is not Christian, it's disciple. And what I want you to realize, especially in our culture today, what a huge difference. 
because the New Testament knows nothing of the word Christian the way it's used today just to describe somebody who has a church membership that goes to church every once in a while. The New Testament is a book about disciples written by disciples for disciples. People who are in love with, people who cling to, people who live their life connected to God. And it's one of our biggest handicaps that there are so many Christians and so few disciples. So we have to get this straight about being a disciple. And this is our step about, about who's your one to help get us straight in that. The, so we're going to lay the foundation. And this first part of foundation is very simple. Everybody is lost without Jesus. Probably one of the most disliked doctrines in the New Testament. Because we like to talk about the fact that Jesus came. We just don't want to talk about why he came. We love celebrating Christmas. We just don't want to talk about why he came. And here's what we read in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, understand this. To say something is lost is to say it has value. I don't lose things that don't have any value to me. I don't turn the house upside down looking for a paper clip or a rubber band. I turn the house upside down looking for my wallet or my passport. When you, when you claim that something is lost, you're claiming it has value to you. Now, Eddie was talking about being married 23 years. This coming May... I've been married to my first wife here for 40 years. She's in front of me in a couple of years. Yeah. 15. 15. 23 years you've been a Christian. That's what it was. Okay. Sorry. Our honeymoon. We left getting married in the afternoon, drove down to Baton Rouge. You have to understand, uh, I'm a clog now when it comes to stuff like this. I was really bad then and still am. <laughs> but we're going to Baton Rouge. We're going to spend the night. We're going to spend our honeymoon in Baton Rouge. But we've been driving all afternoon, so we're hungry. You know, as anxious as we are to, to start our honeymoon, we're hungry. So we decided, you know, we don't want to start our honeymoon and come back and go eat. You know, we want to just stay in a hotel and, and a room and not come back out. So we stopped at the restaurant to grab something to eat real quick. Well, I had been given an envelope. Uh, full of money. Well, all the money people had given me, I stuffed, stuffed an envelope and I took that and laid it down on the table there. We ordered our food. Well, we're so anxious to get going that we get up and leave and go to the hotel and I leave that envelope there. And so we're in the hotel room and Lisa's getting lingerie up, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and we'll skip that part. Anyway, at some point, <laughs> I remember the money. And I go, oh no. Because that's our honeymoon money. We're poor college kids. You know, and I get the ho I've got the hotel paid for, but if we're going to spend the rest of our honeymoon, I've got to have that money. So I rushed down to back to the restaurant, and the manager there, I guess he'd been expecting me. I came in kind of frazzled, and yeah, we got your envelope, put it in a safe. And, and, and so he goes, and he opens the safe up, and he hands me the envelope. And I go, oh, I want to thank the, 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 the waitress that, had given him this, and she's already gone home. I said, well, if she was here, I could have kissed her, you know, unless she was an Alabama fan or a cat lover. I could have <laughs> kissed her. But the fact is, 
I had lost that. Why it had so much value to me. Now, that's not a lot of money today, but back then, or today, it'd be equivalent to a couple thousand dollars. That was everything we had. And you don't lose something that doesn't have value. So, when we say something is lost, you're saying that you care about it. And here's what we said before. Every person you lay eyes upon is so valuable to God that he sent his son to die for them. We've been over this before. It goes back to what you learn in economics, right? You want to learn what the value of thing is? You find out what the price people will pay for it. You can put your house on the market of anything you want to, but you find out what it's worth in closing time. You are surrounded by people that are so valuable to God that he sent his son to die for them. So when Jesus comes and now the reason he came is for lost people, that's because we're so valuable to him. In fact, they asked Jesus one time, why do you hang around people that are so far away from God? He says, well, think of it this way. A shepherd has his flock of sheep and he loses one. He goes, he searches the hills, he searches the valley until he finds that sheep. You all know this. Every shepherd would do that. And when he finds it, what does he do? He brings it back home and he throws a party, a party his friends are going to be talking about for weeks. Or if a woman has her dowry, her 10-coin dowry that she'd have, she loses a coin out of that dowry somewhere in the house, she's going to search the house up and down and everywhere. And when she finds it, She's going to call her girlfriends, throw a party. And when a father loses a son, you know, he's going to be looking for that son to come back. And it's the same thing. He's going to throw a party. Two things to learn from this. One, when God looks at lost people, he sees it as significant loss to himself and he wants to reclaim them. He wants people to be connected to him. Secondly, people are good at getting lost, and they get lost in a lot of different ways. Some people, it's like the, a sheep. You know, a sheep's not the rocket scientist of the animal kingdom. It doesn't take much for them to get lost. They're just natural wanderers. A, a snake kisses, a rock falls. They'll just wander off. And sometimes people are just stupid like sheep. A teen experiments with drugs. You flirt with somebody at the office who's not your spouse. You take some money from the, from the, uh, the office, the workplace, thinking you're going to repay it back later. People sometimes are stupid like sheep. Does God seek after them? Yes, until he finds. And some people... It's like the one with the coins, just carelessness. You lose the coin, it falls you know, underneath the couch cushions or, or gets pushed underneath the table or something like that. Just carelessness. Somebody has a divorce or there's a death that takes place or something like that. Nothing that you expect, but just, just things of life happen. And when people would get lost like that just out of carelessness? Yes. But God seeks after such people until he finds and some people, they don't get lost because of their stupidity. Or they don't get lost because of carelessness. They get lost because of an act of rebellion like a son. One son winds up in the pig pen, but he had two sons, right? The guy did. Other son was in a pew and lost. Was there at home every Sunday. 
but he seeks after until he finds. See, I'm asking you to have toward one person what God does for all the world. He wants that person to be connected to him. And I'm asking you to begin today to let that desire well up inside of you. So, we're good at getting lost. And there are many ways at getting lost. But there's only one way to be found. And that's through Jesus. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, here's the problem in our culture today. The problem in our culture today is a lot of people find that offensive because they say it's too exclusive. We have all these religions, all these different ways to God. Some people find that offensive because they say it's too exclusive. But do you realize in most cultures of the world, it's not the exclusivity of the gospel. It's the inclusivity, you know what I'm trying to say, of the gospel that, that they find offensive. You mean that anybody can come to God? any race, any gender, no matter their class in society? Yes. It all comes exclusively and inclusively through Jesus. Remember the thief on the cross. He never went to church. Never served in the church. He never was a deacon. Never kept kids. Never gave a dime. But he said, Jesus, will you save me? And Jesus says, yes. He's not the exception. He's the example. That's the way we all come. You know, the stuff we do or don't do, that's not worth anything to God. It's only that we're willing to trust him and give him our sins. That, that's, we all come the same way. You never have met or never will meet anybody that God does not want to be connected to. Whoever you choose as your one, God wants them to make a connection. Here's what we read in Peter. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all come to repentance. He wants everybody to be connected to him. All right, three things I want you to get down. Number one, people are lost and of great value to God. Number two, God is good at finding people and wants to connect to them. And number three, how do you know someone is connected? Well, they want to see others connected. Let's carry this thing that we said earlier about, the, about how everyone you lay eyes upon is so valuable to God that he sent his son to die for them. Let's carry that one step further. You tend to value that the people you value, value. You will value that the people you, you tend to value the people that the people you value, value. That's why you like your mother-in-law, right? Because you value your wife or your husband, so you like your mother-in-law. That's why you like your boss's kids. Because you tend to value the people that the people you value, value. Now, if everyone you lay eyes upon is so valuable to God that he sent his son to die for them, how valuable are they to you? Because, see, I tend to value people based on how valuable they are to me personally. 
But what God wants us to do is to value people based on how valuable they are to Him. Do you value the people that the people you value value? What that means for me is I go, you know, that person, they're just a jerk. They're a Trump supporter. They're a cat lover. But they're so precious to God that he sent his son to die for them. That's where God wants to take us. He wants to take us to that point. To where we begin to value people. So with that foundation in mind, let's go here. To Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples. That's the only verb in this whole statement, the verb make. Everything centers around that. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. The mission of the church has been and always will be to make disciples. That's why it's so important that you are able to answer the question, who's your one? Because if we forget that, it doesn't matter how well we do other things. It doesn't matter how well we do missions. It doesn't matter how well we do children's outreach. It doesn't matter how well, and, and you can, it doesn't matter how well we do all these other things. If we forget that, then we've forgotten the reason for our existence. Think of it this way. You know, if Apple suddenly becomes deficient in making computers, it doesn't matter if they got little snazzy little stores. It's nice to go and look around and browse in, does it? If Starbucks starts making deficient coffee, you know, it doesn't matter how well they treat their employees. If you lose sight of what your mission is, what's the point of even existing? So, the church can't miss its mission. And what that means is you as an individual can't miss your mission. We say it all the time. You know, we can't be corporately what we're not individually, right? And so if the church is to have this mission, you have to have this mission. So here's what I'm going for in the next several weeks. I want you to be able to name one person. That's not connected to God. What do I mean by that? I mean this. They may be someone who is not a Christian at all. Let's put that at point zero. Let's say being not a Christian is point zero. Okay. Let's say being connected to God is five. They may be a person who's at zero. They're not connected to God, to God at all. They may be a negative five because they may be an, an atheist or, or, or completely agnostic, just don't want to have anything to do with Christianity whatsoever. They may hate Christians. They may be at a negative five. Or they just simply may be at a zero. They're just simply not connected to God at all. Or they could be a Christian, and they're still they're not getting it. They're not connected to God. They got stuff going on in their life. It's just things just aren't happening for them. They are not, as we've been talking about for the past eight weeks, connected to God the way they should be. 
So I want you to find a person. Think about this. Talk to God about this person. Is he the one to lay on your heart? Is he he or she going to be your one? So they may be completely antagonistic toward Christianity. They just may just not a Christian, not, you know, probably not, just just not for me. Or, Or they may be a Christian, but they have not yet been connected to God. They've lost sight of what it means to, to be connected to God. And I'm not going to go over the last eight weeks of sermons, but that's what that means. So what do you do with them? What do you do next? That's what we're going to be talking about some. But let's start off with, with something a, a, a little bit just basic today. First of all, listen to their story. They may be your relative. You may already know their story. This could be your brother or sister too, right? You may already know their story. But just let me just encourage you just to sit down and listen to their story. Because very few people get a chance to tell their story because whenever they try to tell their story, you interrupt them so they can't tell their story. Or somebody interrupts them. Just listen to their story. Because when people will sit down and tell you their story, you find out their worldview. You find out their hopes, their dreams, the tragedies that's happened in their life. And as they tell those things, there's going to be things that come to your mind that go, oh, man, that's how the gospel can apply to their life. Because when I went through something like that, this is how my relationship with God made all the difference in the world. And you can find ways, listen to their story, that the gospel can be inserted in their life. The second thing, spiritual conversations are necessary. Listen, I know that Francis of Assisi said, at all times, share the gospel, and when necessary, use words. That's great on a coffee cup, great on a bumper sticker, but if anyone is going to be connected to God, you have to have spiritual conversations with them. In the New Testament, everybody who, who gets connected to God, somebody had to come along and connect the dots for them. There had to be a spiritual conversation. Jesus with those two guys on the road to Emmaus, they knew the facts. They knew, you know, Jesus did a lot of miracles. They knew he'd been crucified. They heard rumors that he'd been resurrected. But Jesus had to come along and connect the dots for them. Spiritual conversations are necessary. You have to be willing to have those spiritual conversations with this person. Third, when we share, we're entering into a conversation that is already going on at some level. What I mean by that is... You can be assured you have one person in mind because God cares about him. He's working in their life at some level already. Maybe they have some distant relative praying for them. Maybe they grew up in a Christian home and just walked away from the faith when they become a teenager or off to college. Maybe there's some Christian at work that's been praying for them and trying to witness them. Some level God has already started in their hearts. You're not starting at ground zero with nobody. Because remember, we have a God that wishes that none should perish, but to all do come to repentance. And so he's doing something. And then fourth, pray for them. Do you realize that very few people can name one person that's praying for them? To pray for them. Because when you pray for them, then your heart is, is going at them. You become more sensitive to them. And so when an opportunity comes to, to, to step in and disciple them, you're ready to go. Because they're already on your hearts. You pray for them. 
Don't wait until you care to get involved in somebody's life. Get involved in somebody's life so you'll begin to care. But it's got to start with here. It's got to start with you answering your question, who's your one? So, over the next few weeks, I want you to be able to answer that question with one person that you're going to start praying for, that you're going to start looking for opportunities to disciple, you're going to have spiritual conversations with them. One person. Now, you may be here today, and you're saying, choose my one. I need somebody. I need to be somebody else's one. I want somebody else to come along in my life, and, and, and I want to be their one. I need to be their person. I, I need to, to be discipled. I, I need to learn more about Christ. I, I'm just not even sure where to start at. I'm not sure about all this being connected to God at all. Fine. We get, when I hand out pieces of paper to you and, and or up in the worst guy for you to write down your one or something like that, you just write down, I need to be somebody else's one. I might put a box on there, you know, please make me somebody else's one or something. But I know this. I know that no matter what else we do, if we don't get this right, we've lost sight of our mission. We become just a sport. We just become a hobby. So next week when the Iditarod starts, you remember, that started out as a mission to save lives. We've got to get this serum to Nome. It was desperation. And you've all seen the movies. You know, you can go see the dogs in, at the restaurants around town. There's one in downtown and one at the one on Spinar too. There's the stuffed dogs, you know, the hero dogs. You can go see all that. But do you realize if we don't do that, then church in a way just becomes a sport and just a hobby? So who's your one? So we're going to next week lay some more foundation to this and then begin looking at this in Scripture. What I need you to do because you were so good about going through and, and, and going through Scripture and, and, and making sure you're in God's Word and, and letting that penetrate your heart and, and, and so good at that. But let's go ahead and let's just go ahead and take the, take the step. And let's be good at making disciples. What a difference it can make if we just do one at a time. What a difference it can make. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.